You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which looks at the work of Star Trek creators outside of Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by the commanding officer of Trek FM Europe, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) How's it going, Colin? It's going well. I quite like that, commanding officer Trek FM Europe. Yeah, it's fitting. Colin, for those who don't know, is the host of both Trek News and Views and Decade, right? Right. Both of which can be found on Trek FM. Um, so be sure to check those out. And he's here today to help us with part six in our look at Gene Roddenberry as a television creator, where we look at Earth Final Conflict. So, Colin, you've actually watched this show, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It was sun over here, uh, basically, as it, as it aired in America, which is unusual mm-hmm. in itself. And now, Max, did you watch the show when it was on the air or not? Um, when it started, I, uh, I, I, I watched the first, um, few episodes, and then several years went by, and someone told me that that show wasn't cancelled. Yeah, I guess that's how it works. I, um, watched the first episode, I was actually looking forward to it quite a bit. I remember when it aired right after an episode of Deep Space Nine, and I watched it, and I'm like... Hmm. I guess I don't have to watch the rest of these. But <laughs> although there was a point at some point, I think it was like season two. I uh, there was an episode on, and I and I, I like just floating through the dial, and I was watching it, and I was like, "Is this a new show?" Because <laughs> nobody from the first season was in it. Yeah, and and that's something that we'll talk <laughs> about. But first, I hear just just the basic premise of the show for those who don't know, and and tell me if I'm wrong on this, Colin. But this is what I picked up from what I watched. I watched the first five episodes, and then I did research on the rest of it. But here's what I picked up. In the early 21st century, a race of aliens called the Talons come to live on Earth for mysterious reasons, apparently, but they're, like, looking for sanctuary or something like that. And in return for letting them stay here, they give Earth their advanced technology and what have you. And, you know, while they appear to be benevolent, some people think they're trying to take over the world, and there's a human resistance which is formed to fight the Talons or to stop the Talons. And the first season, at least, focuses on a guy who is basically a double agent, right? He's hired as, like, a a bodyguard for the Talons, but he's... Yeah, William Boone. Yeah, but then he's uh, um, also recruited by the resistance to be like their inside man or something right yeah, yeah. now from from what i've read online the, the show did change rather frequently um a, a large part of that seemed to do with with casting because basically they gave crappy contracts to their uh talent and they would usually leave after a year or two yeah it was it was run on a site budget apparently and Basically, people were signing on for one-year contracts, and then I suppose in the business, when you know it's going to be a long-running TV show, you try and renegotiate your contract. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it always comes down to the money figures and so the cast changed every year and there was like one guy who stayed on for the whole thing who seen yes yeah, Sandoval no, no not, the, not the villain he was the uh, the Thailand collaborator oh he was a collaborator okay yeah he was the human protagonist of the entire series Okay, so so now from what I've read, you know, from people who who have watched the show or whatever, and talking about like what happened or how how it works or whatever, it seems like the general consensus is that season one was was cool, and then seasons two through four they kind of lost their way, but it was still okay, and then season five is when it jumped the shark and they went into like a completely different direction. Would you agree with that analysis, Colin? Or, or, or? Yeah, season one showed an awful lot of promise. Uh, you had these super advanced aliens who could turn deserts into fields, uh, cured cancer and, and, and things like that, and gave um, humanity... A, it was like a very Star Trek-ish in the fact that humanity came together mm-hmm. because of an alien contact. Um and it did show a lot of promise and then you had the resistance movement and you had all the double dealing behind with the Thailands and there was a lot of of covert stuff going on and it showed real promise but you kind of knew it was going to go slightly safe when at the end of it because spoiler alert they killed the hero Mm -hmm. and you you normally build your series around the hero so if you're killing the hero off then that's very unusual. So you kind of knew what you, that magic kind of thing. Oh, I wonder where this is going to go then. But you kept on watching through season four at least, right? Yeah, well, I, I kept into it because I thought, you know, it's, like I said, it, season one showed promise. So And then season two kind of stuck on the same path with the, the odd variation and they, it went all... Um, they tried to go for the mystical slant. You know, like superhumans and mystic power powers and energy forces and stuff like that. Um, but I stuck with it, and then when it got to season three, then yeah, the writing was on the wall in season three. Mm-hmm. All right, and season five is when they got rid of the Talons and introduced the Atavus. Yeah, the energy vampires. Atavus. Atavus. Yeah. Okay. The energy vampires who are much more like clear cut bad guys, right? Yeah, who just happen to be under Earth for seven million years. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, that is a really that's a really troubling thing because that's where the show suddenly starts to look a hell of a lot like Battlefield Earth. Yeah, I I think I heard that uh, the original the original title was Battlefield Earth or Battle it, ba- ba- it was Battleground Earth. Yeah, Battleground yeah, Earth. Battleground Earth. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I'm pretty sure it was just a typo. They <laughs> were they were trying to make it Battlefield Earth. Colin, what what were your I mean, what are your overall feelings of, of on the show, like in terms of uh, quality or what have you? What 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 are your thoughts? Um, well, the first two series are the strongest two. Okay. And then because. And then you you have trouble keeping up because the cast changes so often. You're not investing in the characters, uh, with the exception of Sandoval, who was a bad guy anyway. You you never had the same people from season to season, so it was kind of hard to invest in characters. And some of the writing uh, was really really dodgy. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, it's just you, I mean you watch some episodes and you think oh that's a good episode oh I'll watch next week so you watch the next week and you're thinking what the 
Mm-hmm. How is this any in any way linked to anything else that has happened anywhere else before? And it, it I mean, does I remember one episode where the girls got no hands? Yeah, I watched that episode. Yeah, so the Thailand's grow us some hands, and it's almost you, you get you get from that episode, you get the impression that okay, there's no parameters here. It's basically come up with something weird and wonderful and write a show about it. That that episode was actually written by DC Fontana, which I thought was weird. But yeah, I, yeah, that that was a, a bizarre episode, and and that one also like led into. I mean, I, I guess that one, out of all the ones that I watched, it was was kind of the most intriguing because it sort of led into this idea of um, the Talons as being like a like Messiah figures or whatever. You know, there was like a religion which was built around their their presence and stuff like that, and but it really did feel like a, a bottle show too like do they ever go back to them doing stuff like that again or no no okay well the show starts off a lot like v and you know the aliens give us a whole bunch of great stuff mm-hmm. and then like immediately the human population has you know like basically two general philosophies on them the one side is like they're the best thing since cake and the other side is saying like they're, they're the worst thing since poisoned cake and then they argue for the rest of the show, except, you know, the audience is privy to all the secrets, so the audience is like, yeah, they're pretty dangerous. No, but are they? Because, I mean, like, now, this is something else that I read, you know, from what I understand, the guy who actually developed the show only lasted, like, a few episodes, and then he he left, and uh, this other guy, Paul Gertz, took over, and... um it sounds like they went in a completely different direction. Like, I mean, I know it was supposed to be rather ambiguous, but like, were, did the Talons end up being good guys or bad guys? Or was it just sort of a thing? The the end um, episode with the Talons... Which would be the end of season four, right? Yeah. Okay. Is, uh, basically, they, they go down this, this route about all um, sentient organs, organisms being intertwined. So, um, the humans are related to uh, another species, and they're related to the Thailands, and they're related to so and so and so and so. And because the Thailands are basically energy based, at the end of it, they're in this volcano uh, where there's this, this um, sp- for want of a better word, a splicing chamber where you can splice DNA from different species. And the so called human, Leon. Like an editing bay, but for things that are alive. Yeah, and he, he convinces the Thailands to fuse with humans to create a new species. And so they go in, and they're inside a volcano which starts erupting, which seals them in the volcano, and that's the last you see of them. Okay. And then this volcano erupting unleashes the energy vampires, that's, which is season five. That's a nice coincidence, actually. It is. It's very coincidental, <laughs> yeah. So you never know what happens with the blending. You never know if it works or anything like that. They just leave it. So, so let me ask you this. Um, now, the the main character in season one was William Boone, right? Was that his yeah. name, William Boone? William now, Boone, yeah. Now, I read that he came back and actually was in season five. How did that work? <laughs> <laughs> I do not know. If you go to the Earth Final Conflict Wikipedia page, they actually have a chart 
where you can look at all the people who like appeared as regulars on the show and which seasons they appeared in and whether or not they were regular guest stars or just recurring characters. And wow, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it's a yeah. really big chart. Yeah, it says okay. it, yeah. The the last series brief returns of season one hero William Boone, as well as the return of the previously androgynous Zor resurrected as a female. So they bring two people back that should have been dead. But there is a premise for bringing him back because when he, in season one, when he's he's supposed to be like injured beyond belief, um, you see him in like this healing water, like mm-hmm. in um, Return of the Jedi. That was Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back, sorry, yeah. You see William Boone in, in that type of thing and then they close the door. It's called Bacta, by the way. So that that is the foundation that they can use to bring him back. But to all intents and purposes, you you are led to believe that he died, and they're just preserving him. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense because in season three, there's a genetically engineered soldier who you are led to believe is William Boone. Okay. So you um. so you then you then make the leap that he was in the war the Bacta, uh-huh. and they genetically engineered him to make this soldier. Who dies? I, I think you're just making this stuff up now. I don't <laughs> no, this is, this is this is why people had so much trouble with it because it jumped all over the place. To me, that, that to me that reminds me sort of my, my general philosophy on the show, which was that it seems like the showrunner was. We recently did a commentary for North by Northwest, and I was like, it's 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 George Kaplan. He's the guy running this show. He doesn't really exist. There's an office somewhere. When people call the showrunner, they're calling an empty room. Well, that that guy, that showrunner there, his name is Paul Gertz, and, and we'll get into him in a, a second. But, um, well, Max, what what were your thoughts on on what you saw of the show? I it turns out I saw more than I thought because mm-hmm. I saw. I mean, like I, I while I was watching the few episodes at the beginning, I was like, I remember all this. I remember this, and like, like, so, you know, over the course of the years, I mooshed all of the episodes from the first like you know year and a half into the pilot. And I was like, wow, the pilot, nothing happens. Like, not a thing happens in the 42 minutes of that episode. But uh, over the course of the first season, very little happens. Mm -hmm. Aside from some random, you know, bits of things that seem largely disconnected. Um, And then uh, I had to sort of hop around in the show to sort of, like, figure out, like, where I stopped watching it, like, completely. I think it actually happened around season three, where I I was at that point boycotting the show. But somewhere at season five, like season four to season five, that transition, um, I was absolutely unaware of how that functioned, and and even watching those episodes, I had no idea what was going on in that transition. If it, it really feels like they they were they just decided to do a different series, yeah. and they continued some names. And and uh, and and I mean, like, what what did how did, what did you think about the show on the whole? What are your your thoughts in terms well, of quality or whatever? Well, in you know preparation for these um, these these Roddenberry sort of alternate idea things, uh, you know, we investigated Earth Final Conflict and Andromeda, which were things that we were aware of when they came into existence and then stopped watching mm-hmm. for various reasons. And um, Andromeda is not terrible. Andromeda kind of works. I could watch that show. This not that. This not good. 
All right, I, I, I would agree with, with your analysis of Earth Final Conflict. Um, to me, I mean, the, the impression that I kept on getting, you know, and, and we'll talk about this with Andromeda as well, but it felt like it was a, a casualty of its budget, you know what I mean? It, it almost feels like you're watching softcore porn, but that's kind of an insult to softcore porn. You know, I think they got, it was like that time in the late 90s where they're like, we have CGI, we can do anything. And it's like, no, you can't. You really can't and you really shouldn't. And, you know, as soon as that spaceship thingy starts flying around that you can <laughs> see through, I'm like, okay. I mean, it just did not work. And, you know, like, it, it, it had such a low production value that I couldn't take it seriously. I mean, as far as, like, the writing is concerned, it's confusing as hell. Like, even in the beginning, they throw so much at you. I mean, the fact that they say, like, three years ago they came it's like okay so we're already playing catch up you know we're already trying to figure out what's going on in the society and there's so much like double crossing and ambiguity in terms of who is what that from the very beginning i was like i don't know what's going on here i feel lost already it's kind of like watching the prequels but don't you don't you think that's because they're making a program based on someone else's idea that wasn't there to consult with well, but how much of that is true? You know, I mean, that's something that we can talk about, you know, right now, which is... Uh, oh, conspiracy theories. Paul Gertz, the guy who, as far as I can tell, was the head writer and the showrunner for the majority of the series. He flat out said, according to the internet anyway, that the show came from a premise that Gene Roddenberry wrote on a napkin. And that was in a lockbox that Majel Barrett had, and filled with other notes for shows and series, which were written on things like receipts and, and napkins and what have you. And they took this idea, which he wrote on a napkin, and turned it into a TV show. So I really don't think that Gene Roddenberry had much to do with it at all. I think it was something that he, he was like, I got an idea. You know, sitting with someone at a, at a table in a restaurant one time, and he writes this down on a napkin, and then he's like, oh, that's a terrible idea. And then he goes to, like, throw the napkin away, and someone digs it out of the garbage and puts it in a lockbox, just in case. You know what I mean? I think you're assuming that that napkin actually had um, uh, text about aliens printed on it. I'm inclined to think that it was probably just a shopping list. Okay. That had, because it was written, you know, on a napkin, uh, probably in a hurry, probably was barely readable. Uh-huh. And somebody tried to make sense of it and was like, I don't know, maybe it says aliens. <laughs> and like, like V. See that, see that V there? Maybe he's saying, it's like that, but with different names for things. But this Paul Gertz guy, this is really pretty much the only thing of substance that he wrote. He also wrote an episode of The Practice, and he wrote, um, uh, an animated thing called Through the Mobius Strip. Have you guys seen this or heard of it? I haven't heard of The Practice, so there you go. The Practice, that's the one, the the David E. Kelly show. Um, it fits into Boston Legal continuity. Yeah, Boston Legal is a spinoff of The Practice. Oh, okay. So basically think of a serious version of Boston Legal. That's what it is. But th- this Through the Mobius Strip thing, I guess, is an animated feature based on the work of Mobius. So I guess that's this guy's thing to take, take like stuff that 
famous sci-fi people have done and make other things out of it. Well, that's that's the problem. It's like it's like in season two when you've got um, the energy staff, which is like you know, for all intents and purposes, is a bloody wand. Uh-huh. I mean, how many Dungeons and Dragons isk connotations has that got? And you've got the human hybrids, which is, is a staple of science fiction in any writers. You know, they've all wrote about human hybrids at some point, even in the formative years. So it, it's, that's basically what it is. It's like a hodgepodge of science fiction ideas. And let's try and build an episode around it. And then we'll try and build a series around the episodes. It did seem like... It, it's it's like it definitely felt of its time and and like a lot of that like like when i watched the episode with uh the the, the girl who they grow hands for or the 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 other episode with like the the lady who used to date william boone who's like really good at playing this uh this alien instrument like she's the only human who can play this instrument you know, uh, so yeah, well. And at the end of the series, she's not human. Oh, she comes back. Yeah, she comes back, and she's uh, altered into um, another species. What? What is going <laughs> on in this show? <laughs> I mean, this well, show even, is crazy. Even, like every character on the show wasn't strictly speaking their species. No. Almost everybody was what turned out to be a hybrid, or was then made into a hybrid, and I—I I mean, that, that's not how genes work. No, you can't it's, suddenly become half alien. It's like it's like the new the new good guy, which was uh, Liam Kincaid. He was supposed yeah. to be the last of his kind. He was the last. Was it the Chimeras? Yeah. And he was supposed to be the last of his kind, and everyone else had wiped out and died and everything. And then in season four, his dad comes back. And there's two of him. Yeah. Does that mean, like, there's so many different angles on these characters? Who the hell Sometimes, are the chimeras? What? They're another race. That's not C-H, it's K. And K-I. K-I. Yeah. What? Well, I mean, that's how that's how you... I mean, chimera, that's C-H-I. I mean, you don't... What else would you use? Your Y? <laughs> <laughs> but so much... It's like the, 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 um, the arm weapons, the Skrill. That you see in the first five episodes, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They evolve into uh, like a bird-like animal. Okay, so so that thing, that's not just like a piece of like biotechnology. That's no, like it's an a living thing. Alien. It's a living, it's a living alien that can tap into the human uh, nervous system and the natural energy in the, in a living body and convert it into a weapon. Which is why in the first five episodes, when Boone's firing it, the more he fires it, the tighter he gets. Okay. Yeah, that's another thing that really bothers me about a lot of things this this show more than almost anything else, the idea of using energy for absolutely everything. Uh, yeah, the, it, all of these aliens need like various forms of energy from other forms of life. I mean, humans are like they they're they're treated like energy factories for a lot of different things, but energy is such a loose term. It's like sometimes it's it just makes you sleepy, and sometimes it kills your face off, and 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 sometimes it's like literally a form of some sort of goo that can be extracted from your body. I really am annoyed by those things. Uh, are you done about the one when they put like basically the straws for the belly button to drink them? I am aware. Yes, I'm talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's there are too many things for for energy extraction and and not a single word to explain what the hell the energy is that they are talking yeah. about. Oh, why do they it? Wait, so who's drinking energy from belly buttons? <laughs> aliens. But not the atav out of us. No, no, this this is before no. them. This is before then. I think that was season um was season 4. Yeah, the Atavists uh, don't use straws. No. They're like they're like they're like animals. They they just they like to dig in there. I mean, they su- I suppose they could use straws, but that's not their style. No. No, it was the Thailands that were drinking the energy through the straw-like things. Okay, now yeah, was that them they being straws bad? They're prissy. Like were they were they like drinking them from like they were drinking energy out of humans? They were drinking energy out of humans, but it wasn't like it wasn't like, hey, look at that human. I bet his energy tastes good. You got your straw, Steve? Yeah, I got my straw. All right, let's go jump him. It wasn't like that. It was like like, all right, all right, they're they're these people are all full on our drug thing. Let's go get some energy out of them. And people would be like, hey, well, that's really weird that you're taking energy from me. And they'd say, yeah, but I mean, it's not like we're killing you. And they'd go, yeah, that's a good point. All right, carry on. And that was it. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so uh, okay, this Paul Gertz guy, you know, the, he barely wrote anything, but his, his like big thing in the industry, I guess, is he's like he's essentially like a an executive, from what I understand. He used to work on a lot of animation. I think at one point he actually ran Hanna Barbera. He was like an executive producer on Titan AE. He produced the Page Master. I'm telling you, this guy's like Alan Smithy. He's not an actual person. He's just a name that people use. Okay. Well, what he does now, apparently, is um, he he's like a, an executive who works on documentaries. He did uh, the documentary Facing Ali and stuff like that. So, but he's basically just like a studio guy. He's a He's like what Rick McCall or I'm sorry, what Rick Berman was back before he joined Star Trek, from what I gather. But I'm not 100% positive. Um, well, uh, one person who you do see who was an executive producer on the show is Majel Barrett. Um, well, you're bound to. Yeah, she shows up in the first few episodes as like a doctor. Yeah, and she's in, she's in with the resistance. Yeah, they do that cute little thing where she has a picture of uh, Gene Roddenberry sitting on her desk, and it's also weird in in the credits as an actress she's she's listed as Majel Barrett, but then as an executive producer she's listed as Majel Roddenberry, and I know that like Rod Roddenberry worked on the show quite a bit. He actually on the DVD that I watched he gave an introduction, talking about. Um, how you know his experience working on the show and and stuff like that and how he you know really enjoyed it and how he thinks that season one is the best but yeah it sounds like he took you know a pretty active role in the production of of the series other star trek people who worked on it um there were a couple writers uh, dc fontana who we mentioned earlier obviously she was a writer on the original series I think she pretty much ran the writing staff of of the animated series, from what I gather. She wrote Yesteryear, which is the only episode of that show worth watching. But yeah, she also wrote uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Um, And then she did an episode of uh, Deep Space Nine. She did Dax, 
Um, another uh, Star Trek writer was Lisa Klink, who uh, worked on Voyager for a number of years. And then one of the directors on the show was Alan, I believe he pronounced it Craker, K-R-O-E-K-E-R. I think he pronounces it Craker, maybe Croker. I think it's Craker. Craker sounds about right. And he uh, was like the go-to guy for uh, Star Trek directors in the... Uh, later years he directed the finales of deep space nine voyager and enterprise so that's kind of cool and he directed uh i think one or two episodes of this show at least um a couple of other noteworthy writers who worked on this show howard chaikin and jm dematis both uh, comic book writers howard chaikin of course very famous for a lot of his uh his stuff in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and what have you, none of which I've really read. Um, he, he's also the guy who wrote, like, the first, like, 10 issues of the uh, Star Wars comic book back in 1977. And J.M. DeMatteis has done a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I like, you know, most notably probably the, the Justice League stuff that he did with Keith Giffen, where he turned it into a comedy series in the 80s. Well, that's the, that's the Justice League comics that are worth reading. He's also written a lot of uh, stuff recently for like, decent. Like he wrote Brave and the Bold episodes and stuff like that. He's he's very active still. It's good stuff. All right. Well, what you guys have any uh, final thoughts on this? I've got a question for you guys. I guess. Did you know about the spinoff? Final thoughts. Well, wait. I heard that they were talking about doing that, where essentially like one of the characters goes into space. And yeah. looks for strange new worlds and yeah, new civilizations. Eye. She's gonna go to other planets and find out where other aliens are doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, and do some more gene splicing. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea for something that nobody should ever do. But but it never happened, right? No, and there's really no reason to because it's not really like a it's not really an idea for a show. I mean. It probably has more, you know, more more thought and research behind it than the napkin. Uh-huh. But it's still not a solid idea for a series. So so here's my final question for you guys. Considering the fact that this was a show based on an idea that Gene Roddenberry wrote on a napkin 20 years prior, given the opportunity, do you think Gene Roddenberry would have made this show? Probably, but not the way it was. Okay. What do you think, Max? Um, well, I've, I, I have a question about that. Uh, uh, like, the the idea, like, you know, would Rundry make the show? I mean, the, the response, probably, but not the way it was. I don't know what that means. Because, <laughs> like, I, I mean, like, that to me, to me, that implies, like, no, he wouldn't have made the show. He would have made another show. No, because you don't it, know what was on that napkin. My 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 feeling is that is that the only explanation that makes any sense that justifies this hypothesis that it was based on a, a note on a napkin is that at some point Gene Roddenberry wrote on a napkin aliens question <laughs> mark. Yeah, I mean, I've just be... seen aliens. No, I mean, I could see like like my guess as to what was on the napkin is like um, aliens come to Earth and give us uh, their technology. Um, no one knows why they're here. I personally don't think that it, the show would have been much like this if Roddenberry had done it. I think that it's. Uh, I think there's too much um, conflict 
an Earth final conflict? I don't know. I mean, I know that it's about sort of like getting there. And I mean, what you're saying about, you know, the Roddenberry idea, the Star Trek idea of, uh, you know, aliens coming to Earth and bringing, you know, humans together and everything. That's cool. But that's sort of like all prior to this show. And now what we see is like that kind of falling apart. We're looking at sort of the underbelly of that and all the the double crossing and backstabbing that goes on with these aliens. And I, I don't think that he would have made a show like that. I don't, I don't know. I think that if that the problem there is that you're assuming that he would be, um, so crazy that he would stick to his guns despite how destructive it might be. And I think that there's a logical argument to be made for that because his tendency was to stick to his ideals despite the dramatic consequences and, and the rating as consequences. He he would be perfectly willing to, you know, sabotage his program in order to make a statement about things that perhaps is not logical. Okay. So so even even though you know it, I can I can imagine him having you know created the series and being in season one, and the writers are all saying nothing is bad, nothing bad is happening. We're like six episodes in, and so far the only thing that we've had to deal with was like a trade dispute. And, and, and like, the, the solution was to give the employees shares in the company. And he's like, yeah, isn't this a great show? No violence. But ultimately, I think that the, the, the logical argument is that had Gene Roddenberry been in a position to make this show, he might have wanted to, but it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Not because kidding. he would be pushing for insane things, and, and the other people who wanted to do the series would be pushing for... Um, completely reasonably stupid things, and and there would be no consensus, and the show wouldn't have happened. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. Uh, Colin, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on the Trek FM network uh, under the podcast bar. You can find Trek News and Views and and Decades, uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at colmh01 or the podcast account, which is Trek News Views. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for leading us through the world of Earth Final Conflict. As always, you can find us online at commentarytrackstars.com where we do our other uh, um, show, Commentary Track Stars. And you can find us on Twitter at comtrackstars or you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com. We will be back next week with part seven of our Gene Roddenberry series, again with Colin, where we look at Andromeda. 